0: Okay. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for your practice. Today we begin our exploration of the Hawaiian teachings of the Avatamsaka Sutra. And the plan is to use the, the book called The Buddhist Teachings of Totality by Garma Sisi Chan, along with a couple other translations which I will work with and read from as we go through different sections of the Sutra. It's not going to be uh, linear as maybe some other Sutras that we covered, and it doesn't have to be that way with this particular Sutra. So today I will uh, talk, uh, it's more going to be like an overview and uh, then, uh, as we go further into it, we will focus on different parts of the sutra. So as I mentioned in the last day show, around the seventh century in China, a few devout Buddhist monks and scholars dove deeply into the study of the Avatamsaka Sutra. It's also called the flower ornament <laughs> scripture. And Based on what they realized in their exploration, they established a school called the Huayan school, which exists today in Japan as the Kegon school. And the focus of the Avatamsaka Sutra in the Huayan school is interconnectedness, and it teaches the aspect of constant, mutual, and multidimensional interpenetration between particularity and totality. Or what we call particularity and totality. What can be seen and what cannot be seen, based on that, are always in a state of permeation and flux in all directions. Or in other words, nothing is static, nothing has an independent existence or nature, and nothing has the ability to obstruct anything So nothing has the ability to obstruct anything. And everything affects everything. The Avatamsaka Sutra is considered one of the longest texts in the Buddhist canon and one of the most comprehensive collections of Buddhist teachings. It actually has the original translation as over 1,600 pages. We're not going to cover them all. This sutra is known as the first expression of the Buddha after his enlightenment experience. And it illustrates his his vast experience of reality as an all-encompassing that is moving in all directions in an unlimited and unhindered way. And it's not just that he experienced reality in, in such a way. He experienced his own being his own being as, none other than the totality itself. So what he experienced was not just him looking at it or watching it from outside. He himself realized that he is none other than everything. All at once. Now to the conventional and logic-bound self, this is beyond comprehension beyond comprehension, and it remains inconceivable. Which is why some parts of the sutra can seem abstract or without an entry point. In fact, the Buddha knew very well that most people will not understand what he experienced and the way he was able to see reality, and he seriously doubted whether or not he will be able to teach this to anyone. So luckily for us, it is said that Indra came by and encouraged the Buddha to give it a shot. And so he did. And this sutra uses elaborate illustrations and rich imagery. And it can seem somewhat magical or way out there. But if we are willing to open up to a different way of seeing, then what appears to be beyond reach can become quite vivid and we can become active participants in the dance. But to make this possible, there is a vital need to relinquish, to let go, in a way to cut the umbilical cord to what we think reality is and to what we think we are. So to cut that cold and then little by little drift away from it. it, doesn't have to be anything abrupt, but we do have to examine our attachments to our own perceptions of reality. And this is what a sutra like this is, is encouraging us to do. So like in the case of any of all other Buddhist teachings, if we want to experience what they point at, we need to be open to go beyond the comfort and security of our familiar way of thinking and beyond the common ways we use our senses. And the teachings are asking us to release the grip on the known and tend towards the unknown or turn towards what we think is scary or threatening or what the senses sometimes are telling us, don't go there. And it can be frightening, but it can also be exciting and rejuvenating to expand our experiences beyond what we know. What we know, in a way, is, is lifeless, it's not looking forward, it's not looking at what is, it's looking at what was in a way, regurgitating the same old stuff again and again and again. The same old, this I am this, you are that, reality is such. But the sutra also has practical guidelines for a bodhisattva or the the path of a bodhisattva and stages for deepening the practice. So I think it can greatly help us expand from our small-mindedness put things in perspective and maybe become less entangled in the drama of our everyday life that is often created by our blindness to a larger sense of reality. So I'm going to spend some time reading from the book. We may have a little time to open it up and see if there are questions or thoughts about it. This is the Gama Sisi Chang, first chapter is the infinity of Buddha's realm. What does a Buddha see or hear? How does he act and think? What does he know and experience in brief? What does it feel like to be a Buddha? These questions have been asked by all Buddhists throughout the ages just as Jews, Christians, Muslims, and Hindus have always asked about their gods and prophets. If these questions are answerable at all, the answers must be very difficult. To raise a question is to reveal a state of mind, and to answer questions is to try to share one's experience with others. An answer cannot make sense if it is given to those who do not share the experience it implies. Because, the way, because of the way we hear the answer. And it has to do with how much we are willing to open up to go beyond the known. So we have to dive into a way of experience that is mutual in order to truly experience. And then he gives an example. He says, let me illustrate this with a story. A caravan was slowly making its way through a Tibetan desert under a scorching sun. Among the travelers was an American who, under the pressure of extreme heat and thirst, exclaimed, oh, what wouldn't I give now to have a big glass of ice cream soda a tibetan nearby heard this remark and asked the american what is this ice cream soda you want so much and he said well ice cream soda is a wonderfully delicious cold drink so the tibetan asked does it taste like our butter tea when it is cold and the american said no it is not like that at all does it taste like cold milk? Well, not exactly. An ice cream soda tastes quite different from plain cold milk. It can have great variety of flavors. Also, it bubbles up. Then, the Tibetan said, if it bubbles, does it taste like our barley beer? No, of course not. And what is it made of? It is made of milk, cream, eggs, sugar, flavors, ice, and soda water. The Puzzle Tibetan still could not understand how such a grotesque mixture could be a good drink. So, it can, and actually even practice can seem to some quite grotesque. Why would you want to sit and do nothing? Why would you want to chant? Why would you bow? I would never do that. Right? So, and, and we, the, the issue with that, the barrier is our own perceptions, our own experiences. So we rely on them when we go forward. It's, it's kind of like we have a flashlight and we point it backwards when we try to go forward. It's a problem. So the willingness, with the understanding, yes, I have experiences from the past and I am relying on those experiences but I am willing to look at what I don't know or to open up to what I don't know. So we must expand beyond the familiar boundaries. So this, in this particular uh, story the Tibetan did not have such an experience within his own vocabulary. And then he says, thus communication becomes extremely difficult without a common ground of shared experience. Einstein's world is quite different from that of an average person. If the distance that separates people's worlds are too too great, nothing can help to bring them together. This is actually very relevant, isn't it? When we look at how we functions, how we function as human beings and the, the difficulties, the issues we have with each other, not being able to understand one another, right? And that, that, is, is, that has to do with our blindness to where we are the same. All we see is where we are different. I can't connect to him or her. They voted for Trump, right? Or something like that. Or they voted for Biden. But there are so many ways in which we we separate or we get caught up in what's on top or the superficial layer of our abilities as human beings. And that's all we see. And that's all that is verifying to us how to proceed. So this is what we have to let go of in order to experience unity. And it is, I mentioned last week, interconnectedness is essentially a universal language that we actually speak on a native tongue level. It's just that we we are so far removed from it in the way we live our lives so that it becomes foreign. And we have to find our way back to that through turning towards our own centeredness. Then from their understanding or seeing other people's center, which is the same. It says, when the Buddha tried to describe his experience to his audience, he foresaw this difficulty in many of his discourses as witnessed in the Sutra, the sutras, he often accompanied these expressions with an air of resignation, implying that Buddhahood is not something <coughs> to be described in words or apprehended through thought. The basic difficulty lies in the fact that we do not share the same experience. And while this is true, it is available to all of us. The Buddha himself said, everybody can, most will not. And not because he gave up on most, but because he knew what it takes in terms of releasing. So then we can open up to the experience. It is what we call in Zen the great death. And it feels like that. So he says to reveal unreve- the unrevealable and to describe the indescribable realm of Buddhahood the Hawaiian Sutra one of the greatest scriptures the Mahayana Buddhism has presented us with an awe-inspiring panorama of Buddhahood for those aspirants who despite all the inherent difficulties are eager to have a glimpse of this great mystery the eagerness is the great determination we speak of, which, if we do not hone or cultivate and nurture, we will lose the momentum. And not only we will lose the momentum, we lose the momentum and in a very justifiable way. "I don't have time for this now. My life is packed," we say to ourselves. And then the conventional reality prevails, which is most common. So, he says, the mystery of Buddhahood can perhaps be summed up in two words, totality and non-obstruction. Totality and non-obstruction. The former implies the all-embracing, and all aware aspects of buddhahood the latter the total freedom from all clinging and bindings ontologically speaking it is because of totality that non-obstruction can be reached because of totality non-obstruction can be reached well because obviously when things are when everything is everything how can anything obstruct anything how can it obstruct itself but causally speaking it is through a realization of non-obstruction the complete annihilation of all mental and spiritual impediments and blocks that the realm of totality and non-obstruction is reached right so The complete annihilation of all mental and spiritual impediments. So in other words, to arrive at this realization, we have to look at the way we block it. Because we're not creating anything. And as long as we are holding on or grasping the familiar, we are fortifying the impediments. And we fortify the impediments by thinking the thoughts that arise in the mind, by speaking the thoughts, and then by acting based on those thoughts. So, it's not that we have to dissolve anything, but rather observe the way we fortify the illusion of a block. Then he says, The infinite lands that cannot be described gather in the tip of a hair of Buddha. They neither crowd nor press, nor does the hair tip swell in all the lands remain... Oh, sorry, I'm going to go back. Nor does the hair tip swell in it all lands remain just as they were before. How these lands enter the hair the huge vastness of the realm. In other words, how can what is huge enter what is tiny? Logically, that does not make sense. The mind rejects it. And when the mind rejects it, we often just leave it alone and walk away. It doesn't make sense. That's it. And these are the parameters that we have to let go of. The parameters of logic. When a bodhisattva obtains the ten wisdoms, and we're going to get to that, he can then perform the ten universal enterings to bring all the universes into one hair or one mote of dust. And one hair into, the, into all universes. To bring all sentient beings' bodies into the one body. And one body into all sentient beings' bodies. To bring inconceivable eons into one moment. One moment is eternity. And one moment into the inconceivable eons. To make all thoughts into one thought. And one thought into all thoughts. To make all the three times, past, present, future, into one time. And one time into the three times. He enters samadhi in one moment and emerges from it in billions of eons. Enters in billions of eons and emerges in one moment. Enters in the present and emerges in the past. Enters in the past and emerges in the future. Totally doesn't make sense. This is is the barrier. What do we do when we hear something that does not make sense? What do we do when we hear something that is, further than that, threatening us? making us uncomfortable or appears to be taking away the ground on which we stand. How do we feel about that? The ground is moving constantly. Although it appears to be stable and static, everything is. So past, present, future. It doesn't seem like that at all. Because we are trapped by our own limited perceptions. So when you look at an apple seed, you don't see a large tree. It's a seed. But it is a large tree. Not in potential. It is a large tree. Large tree. If you wait a little while, there is a tree. What is separating between what we call seed and what we call a large tree? One thought, right? And another thought, and another thought. But when all those are put aside, The past is in this moment and so is the future. Go back to the book. He says, Here we find that both time and space have lost their meaning and power as we understand and experience them. Here is not merely a realm embracing realm ad infinitum, endless or limited, unlimited. But a total change over, a thorough liberation from all obstructions. Here is a perfect melting and merging of all realms. The all in one and the one in all. The dissolving of being and non-being. The convergence of voidness and existence. Form and emptiness. Formlessness and form. And form unite. But they don't really unite. Because this is that. This gives rise to that. If it's not for this, there is no that. So it's called the simultaneous abrupt rising and the perfect mutual solution. All these mysteries of totality consist, however, in one basic principle. Namely, all things of dependent arising or platitya Samutpada, interdependent origination. Everything is empty. In contrast to the doctrines of various monisms and monotheisms, the Huayan doctrine holds that the wonders of the Dharma Datu, Dharma Datu is actually the vast realm of the Dharma, Datu is the sphere or realm. So it's realms beyond realms. All of them are brought into play not because of the one, but because of the great nothingness. This is as if to say that zero, not one, is the foundation of all numbers. It is because of voidness or emptiness that the mutual penetration and non-obstruction of realms becomes possible. Because it is not, it is. So nothing gives rise to something And the something thinks that it is disconnected from the nothing, as we, walking around feeling disconnected, alienated, threatened. It is also owing to voidness or nothingness that the all-inclusive totality can reveal the infinite possibilities without obstructions. So shunyata, emptiness, is indeed the essence and the mark of Buddhism, which is sometimes called non-ego, wu wo in Chinese, sometimes non-clinging, wu chi. Non-abiding, Wuchu. Non-obstruction, Wu-Ai. Emptiness, Kung-Shin. Penetrating through, To, and 101 other names. And to stress the egoless aspect of this great mystery of Shunyata, we have Hinayana Buddhism, Theravada. Right? We have that as or entry point, to stress the void aspect of this mystery, we have the Majamika Buddhism, which was founded by Nagarjuna. To stress the non-clinging, non-abiding aspect, we have Zen. And to stress the non-obstructing and all-embracing aspect, we have the Huayan school. So it all works together very well. So, in making a summary of what we have read in the quotations from the Huayan Sutra, we have found that the totality and non-obstruction of Buddhahood are expressed in these terms. First, that a universe can be infinitely vast or small depending on the scale of measurement or the position from which the measurement is made. So there is that relative perspective while looking at the absolute. Two, that the larger universe or universes include the smaller ones, as a solar system contains its planets or a planet contains its atoms. This system of higher realms embracing the lower ones is pictured in a structure extending Add infinitum in both directions to the infinitely large or the infinitely small. This is called in the Hawaiian vocabulary the view of realms embracing realms. Three, that a small uni- universe such as an atom not only contains the infinite lesser universes within itself, but also contains the infinite larger universes, such as the solar system, thus establishing a genuine totality of non-obstruction. And number four, that time has lost its meaning as merely a concept for Measuring the flow of events in the past, present, and future. It has now become an element of totality which actualizes the total interpenetration and containment of all the events of past, present, and future in the eternal present. So it's not how we see the present moment. But the present moment is eternal. And so is the being. Which is none other than the, present, the eternal present moment. It's very different than the way we see ourselves. We see ourselves so small, so limited. Because of the perceptions. And the fifth one. Upon the grand stage of the infinite Dharma dhatu countless various dharmas of religions are being enacted in numerous dimensions of time and space throughout eternity. So in contrast to this shifting realm and one-at-a-time approach adopted by man's mind, the omniscient mind of Buddhahood adopts an entirely different approach in its functionings. A mind that sees all must not and cannot follow the shifting realms and one-at-a-time approach. It must see things in numerous realms, one penetrating another, all simultaneously arising on an enormous scale. So, the central theme of the Hawaiian philosophy hinges upon the concept of realms. Totality and non obstruction would become meaningless without realms. For the very meaning of totality is defined here as the embracing of all realms and non obstructions as the infinite possibilities of their interpenetrations. I want to stop here for a bit. So we can digest and uh, maybe reflect for a few minutes or run away if this is too much. So uh, if you want to say a few words, express your experiences of hearing this, please either unmute or if you hear just speak. Okay. You smile, you speak.
1: <laughs> okay, so can everyone hear me? I'll speak loud.
0: You guys hear? Okay. All
1: right. So I find it very interesting, the notion of the, the metaphor you used of the seed and the tree, right? That there's only a thought that keeps us from believing that the seed is the tree, not potentially a tree, but is the tree. So this notion of thoughts and how they can be conducive or or hindering um, is a very important part of this, I think, because the Hua yen philosophy is so big. It's, it's so enormous in the sense that everything co-arises together, everything is part of the, the nexus of creation, and that you are, are the nexus and the nexus is you, the only way I believe to truly even start to glimpse this is to, is to enter it with a thought saying this is possible. And once you do that, then things start to reveal themselves to you, and then you realize that this is actually true as opposed to it being a conceptual sort of framework. So the thought, I believe, is the first step. That's what I have to say about that.
0: Yeah, it's a good entry point. There's another one which says, I may be wrong. Right? That's a great entry point. I may be wrong. It's also a great way to connect with other people that I, for some reason, do not agree with. Not that the opinion should not be there. It's just that I may be wrong in the way I'm seeing the other. I may be wrong in the way I'm seeing myself. Not wrong as rejection. Wrong as an opening. Because we hear wrong, we think, well, we are being rejected. But only we can reject ourselves. Only we can reject each other. I may be wrong, is thank God for that. So it's an opening. But how to experience, right? So I don't know, sometimes just laying on the grass, basking in the sun and melting and just allowing, allowing everything to wash us away. Just to wash us away. Or diving into the ocean. Or standing in the rain, or whatever. It, again, it's all over. It's not that we have to find infinity, it's just that we don't believe that we could possibly much, be much greater than we think we are. That's the problem. And you said, right, to, we actually have to trust or believe that yeah. it's possible. So, yeah. Anyone else? Yes. You may need to raise the volume. Just... Do you want me to move that? Okay. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Can you hear me? Not yet. They oh. will. Okay. Okay,
1: this is a question. Um, so I have a lot of trouble with the seed is the tree because um, not all seeds have the capability to grow into a tree. If you bury several seeds, some will germinate and some won't germinate. But could you say the tree is the ice cream cone? So is the tree, the seed, I mean the seed is the ice cream cone. Is the seed, is the tree the same as saying the seed is the ice cream cone? Do
0: you understand? I do, and I'm going to wait until the microphone travels back. <laughs> Thank you. So, for the time being we call it a seed, for, the time, for another time being we call it uh, ice cream. We are saying the same thing, but the same thing has all kinds of experiences. One seed is eternity, which includes all the ice cream cones and everything else. So, but you see, the the thing is, seeing it this way and then seeing that way, we think this is not that. So how can this be that? This has its own life and this has its own life. But what this is saying, what the YN is saying is that this is everything. You want to call it ice cream? Fine. You want to call it Segyoku, fine. You want to call it uh, a mat? Fine. Call it whatever. It's not the name. The name hinders you, not reality. So the only thing that hinders is the interpretations of what you hear. What you hear is free. The interpretation creates the the illusion of it not being free. So he's saying the seed cannot be anything else. But the seed is everything else, already, before you think about it. Only after you think about it, it appears to be trapped. Right? Yes.:
2: I don't
0: know, you guys can come over here instead of <laughs> maybe that will be quicker.
3: Um, and I think it's a very funny movie, uh, but very I think it has a lot of profound. It's like the directors know this sutra, um, and I don't know if that's true, but that also points to that this is true somehow. This is this is everywhere. Right? This is but the movie like literally goes in every direction in the universe, it, in the multiverses. Um, I won't give it a much more away. I encourage you, if you have a a spirit for for a good sense of humor and an open mind, it's a great movie, I think. But, um, uh, yeah, I was, um, you know, had this basking in the sun moment a few weeks ago. Um, and when you're really relaxed like that, when you really give in to whatever it is, um, you know, I think I, I had this odd, and I said it to my partner, uh, David, I said, I had this odd, Comment, like, do you ever feel like you're, I think we had to choose between staying on the, staying on the, uh, staying by the pool or going back up or something. I said, do you ever feel like you're more than one place at once? And I, I don't think I would have said that if I wasn't so just relaxed and in, in, in the zone, in the vibe or whatever it is, that there's a slipperiness, I think, that might be at, at foot um, in this sutra. And I just wanted to express that in comment. About that.
0: Thank you. Oh yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah, that's good. Um, Convenient.
4: Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I I was struck, um, you know, taking into account the past several years uh, of just things that have happened. A, a phrase that you would often hear whenever somebody would have to go speak on a you know a, a tragedy that happened of whatever you know, insert anything. On is this isn't us, we're better than this. And I've often felt that, no, that is us as well. You know, we might not want to see how much capabilities we as humans have for horrible things to one another. Mm-hmm. And I think that what this sutra also points to is we're not reducible to any of these things, even including the beautiful potentialities within us. It, it's great that we can do those things too, And that those things often shine Mm -hmm. at the same time as all of the heart. It's not either or. Mm -hmm. It's often happening all at once. And I've kind of always feel that like in every given moment there's a kernel for everything to be happening all at the same time. And they're both there, including the bad. Mm -hmm. And we can't shy away from any of it. And Mm -hmm. we can't choose one over the other. This isn't, you know, a buffet. It's Say that's nice, and move on, or we go. You know, it's it's all okay, and I think really accepting that phrase of this is what it is 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 to really kind of confront all of that all at once, and even the idea of we're not this or we're better than this is that idea that is a hurdle between the the seed and the tree in its own way. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Yeah. You want to talk, or? Okay, so you're going to have to pull it back.
4: Yeah. Is anybody else I don't know. Uh, no, bring it back. To... I mean, they, they have
0: their own. They can unmute yeah. if they want, That would be nice, <laughs> if they want to speak. Uh, but another thing that uh, I think it can be helpful with is, if, if we, it's not that we have to go look for infinity or, or realms within realms. But well, if, if we understand or maybe trust that every, every seed already contains everything and every moment is eternity, I think it can be helpful in the way we interact with each other and then giving ourselves fully to the moment. Because the moment is eternity. Because if I give myself to the moment, the moment becomes an entry point into infinity. Right? I mean, that's what we're talking about. So we don't have to go look for realms, uh, embracing realms. Because it's all here, because here is there. Because timelessness is not somewhere else. Because if it is timeless and if it is infinite, then we can relax to this. And then truly give ourselves to a situation, a conversation and experience, not thinking that I have million things to do. That's not true. Now many will argue with that, but it's not true. It's one thing that we do million times maybe, but it's one thing. So whatever it is, it is itself an entry point into the inconceivable. We don't understand it in that way, but if we we don't have to, but if we give ourselves fully, then we experience that in in, in a more total way, or experience life in, in its totality. So yeah, the, you mentioned the movie, Interstellar was also another movie that was that mm-hmm. messed with the mind, oh. with the thinking mind. Do you remember? I started crying. Yeah. When you I guys watched planet
2: it? planet without the land yeah. and the mountains on top, I was like, this is not happening.
0: Yeah, it was totally somewhat awesome. psychedelic. Did you see that movie, yeah. In- Interstellar?
5: Yeah, Great. Definitely
2: something like that,
4: yeah. Any- want-
0: oh, Of course, of course, yeah. You want the microphone?
5: Uh, and we were like, "Uh, used you know, uh, discussing a little bit there about time. Um, seems very fitting that we have time workshop. And know, uh, in time, time this, the concept of time, and, and the issue with time is that time is passing for us. I mean, it's something that it seems moving. It seems like uh has to do with impermanence. It has to do with many of our conditions as human beings, and beings in general. And um. But you know like if you if you deep you kind of go into the abstract of, of the physics of things and then you think about time like time has been exposed in some theories as being a fourth dimension, like we have three dimensions, we have a fourth dimension. And so if, if you can imagine that you can be in a place where time is like I mean, nobody will say that the fact that we are here in New Jersey makes uh, Africa disappear. And, and you know, we, we know Africa is there, it's just in another place. I mean, we know Mars is there, it's just in another place that we are not there yet. We're not there at this moment, but it's in some different place. And, and if you feel like, you know, I mean, if you think that the time can be something that you can move around in the same way, you know, I mean, it's already designed that way, we just don't perceive it that way, then everything is in one place everything is all the time are so in one movie. And uh, and it's just the more uh, the fact that you don't know you cannot we cannot move around that freely as as, as beings at that time that doesn't make it as disconnected from it. you know like that doesn't make Africa, you know, not connected to the world because we're in a different place. And and I think that, that you know, it shed some light on I mean it's it's uh, I don't think it is the core of what we're talking here, because it's in the core is inconceivable. But bringing these kind of ideas they break a little bit of the preconceptions we have, and kind of open up some ideas. You know, I, I still don't think that, uh, I mean, I take it as a way of softening the crust of our tight ideas, not as the direct perception of what it means to be connected to everything at all the times. Um,
2: I'm just bouncing off of that a little bit. Can you hear me? All right. So I feel like because time, I'm just bouncing off of what you said. Um, because time is a is a, a necessity for us in this place or in this dimension, as you put it. I feel like time isn't really the dimension. It's really the dimension. of of patience being there and staying with it. And when you are there and you stay with it, then it doesn't pass. Things change, but it doesn't pass. So I think time being our own invention out of necessity for, for needing a progression, needing I need to be here at this time you know, or I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I have goals here, and I, ha- I want to do this, and I want to do that. Just meeting time makes it a man-made thing, or a woman-made thing, or you know, person-made thing. Um, it's, it's really patience in, in the way you're just with it, if you stay with it.
0: And That's where patience comes from, and that's the dimension that I'm feeling. Just thank you. Let me just. I want to say a couple of things about that. Let no, no, <coughs> <coughs> somebody else do it if your leg is. I'm oh, okay. So, so, so a, a couple of things about that. Um, Africa. New Jersey, Mitsugen, Daikyo, Ricardo, right? So all those things do not have independent existence, right? And, and, and one of the problems, uh, uh, or the, the main problem actually, has to do with our relationship to those things. So we, we, make them abs- we make something that is not there in such a way. We make it absolute and fixed. And when we make it absolute and fixed, then we make time. Absolute and fixed. So there is me in relation to that. And this is, the, so, so the entry point is that. So when we sit and meditate, we experience ourselves, right? That's in the thoughts that come, the thoughts that we are following. They are verifying who we think we are. And the reason why we don't want to let them go is because we don't want to let ourselves go. I want to think, I'm not going to say it in such a way, but I want to think, because as long as I think, I know who I am. Right? If I don't think, I don't know who I am. That's terrifying. This is the direction we have to move toward. I don't know who I am, I don't know who you are. I am homeless. I don't have a family. Then everywhere is home and everybody is the same family. Otherwise, it's me and my this my sphere, and the sphere of my family, and that's all. Everybody, the hell with them. Everybody else. But but the, the barrier is that, which is why it is called a an a state of egolessness. That's that's what that is the the, the hindrance. So. My actions are the ground upon which I stand. I don't know who I am. But my actions matter greatly. Why? Because everything is everything. Because what I think, what I say, what I do, naturally reverberates through everything. Realms within realms. So to to experience that we have to release the grip we have to examine the way we, so zazen this is why zazen can be so powerful because it gives it gives us the opportunity to see how we create something and to work on releasing to work on not following the thought that's why dogen said do not think the thoughts But those are my thoughts. How do I let go of that? I don't want to stop thinking my thoughts. I don't want to let go of my opinions. And then the other thing with that is that uh, we think something is missing, something is lacking, we think there's there's something that we need to protect and defend. That's all within the same made-up reality. There is nothing to defend and there is no question of incompleteness a part of thinking of incompleteness. Of course, I think I'm incomplete. Well, there is an issue of incompleteness. Of course there is. Because I think it, and I know best. What if I don't know? Right? Then there is completeness. Then what, what, why am I defending? What, why do I... What is lacking... Right? If everything is everything, wherever you are, whatever we do, everything is there all at once. Everything appears. So, so the statement, when you sit down, the whole world sits down. When you stand up, the whole world stands up. As illogical as it sounds, we have to experience that the entire world is sitting down. Again, as illogical as it may seem, so. Anyone on Zoom, you want to say a few words? We may uh, read a little bit more from the, from the book. Yes, no?
2: Uh,
0: can you unmute, can you please go raise the volume? You have to press down the plus button. on the. No, not there, not there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, can you speak again? Uh,
6: Can you hear me all right Yes, okay, fantastic. Um, It was just like listening um, to the suture and listening to people's earlier comments, it just kind of got me thinking, um, like if anyone's ever experienced the weirdness of déjà vu or prophetic dreams, or even like weird phenomenon that happens. Like you can think of a person, you can be in a big busy town and then suddenly that person appears. And it just like really blows your mind. It happens like that is a really bizarre, weird coincidence. And these things sort of might happen a few times and it just it just you know it's really hard to get your mind around what the, the suture is and what people have been saying and the scene of the tree, it just kind of, like, points you a little bit in that, mm-hmm. in that direction of, perhaps, the realms within realms, understanding a little bit, think there's no need to understand, but it's just, uh, it just sort of made me think about that, and that's all, if anyone else had experienced that a
0: little bit. Thank you. So, So, you know, so, being by the ocean, looking at the ocean, looking at the waves, smelling, feeling the, the wind, right? It could incred- be an incredible experience of completely dissolving, right? And everything appears all at once. Everything is right there. So in a way, putting aside, even momentarily, putting aside all the stuff we need to do and just opening up to that vastness. And it actually, it wants to communicate. I think that's the amazing thing about it. It always wants to communicate. It's just that we are too busy. We're too busy with our small-mindedness that we don't listen. I don't have time for reality. I got my little tiny postage stamp-sized world that I'm very concerned with. But it's always there. So, thank you.
6: Can I say something else? Sure. Related to that? Um, it just, went, as you were speaking, it just got me thinking, and people have pointed this before, but imagine if humans had never developed language, you know, in the way that animals, they sort of have communication, but they don't have language in the way that we have language. Mm-hmm. And imagine so if there was no internal language going on, we would just simply be experiencing mm-hmm. the world and sensation. And then I think the world, the ocean, the trees would speak to us like kind yeah. of more, more clear. we would make it feel more and yeah. you know, uh, just without that internal language using it to communicate or just an internal dialogue.
0: Yeah. Um, that's all. You know, actually, you uh, just reminded me of something we talked about uh, some time ago about sishins. In a sishin, we don't talk, right? We don't talk. We do exist together. We do function together and we function together very well. Right so somehow in a way when we don't speak we pay attention to a different kind of communication because we don't rely on words so for example even you know walking in the hallway when you walk in front of somebody there is a natural adjustment that happens and you feel the other person it's not just that you see with your eyes you actually feel everybody feels everybody and, uh, and yes, not relying on language, this is why we don't speak, right? We don't move, we don't speak in Zazen. So we can actually connect with something much deeper in our being that allows us to connect to reality directly. We distract, you're right, we distract ourselves with language. It's not language, it's the interpretations of words that create uh, the mess. Right, because every word, every letter has interpretations, which are different from one person to another. Yeah, so, just one, I think they can no, hear you. Okay, um, Great.
2: No, it just, just
0: reminded it me. To... <laughs> it just reminded me of what Junior and I saw. we watching this documentary about the human
2: body. It reminded me of the nervous system and how this man who had lost his part of his arm accident um, could still reach out with his nerves from his brain to make something else move. You know, the, the bionic arm that they're trying to make for him and make connections to was connected still. That's why there's a phantom limb because of the, uh, the nervous system is still reaching out. And when you give something, when you give the nervous system something to reach back with, then It'll make that connection
0: again is really interesting. Well there is a desire so to communicate. We,
2: yes.
0: Right. There there is a natural uh, uh, inclination. And
2: not necessarily just to sit there and talk with, with our words. No. Just to just to reach out and feel that connection
0: with each other. Me that? So I'm gonna read a little bit more before we finish and we may have a couple more minutes. So Then he asks, what is a realm? A realm, as generally understood, is an area or sphere within which certain activities, thoughts, or influences take place. Hence, a realm always implies a territory with definite boundaries. Here is a simple illustration. A cup of water is seen by ordinary people as merely a liquid with which they quench one's thirst. It is seen by a chemist as a compound of hydrogen and oxygen, by a physicist as a complex result of electronic movements, by a philosopher as something expressing relationship or causation, by a Buddha as a manifestation or outflow of divine Buddhahood. From this simple example, we may deduce some arguments which in turn can be utilized to depict the interpenetration of realms. Converging within this simple object, a cup of water, are numerous realms. They coexist with one another in a very mysterious manner. On the one hand, they live quietly, each within its own sphere, without jumping out of bounds. And on the other hand, they live harmoniously together without creating the slightest hindrance or interference with other realms. The fact that water can be used as means to quench one's thirst does not prevent it from also being H2O, a complex of electronic movements, a revelation of causation and relationship, and all the rest. On one level, or in one realm, Water is a means with which one can extinguish fire, but on another level, it is a means from which one can draw fuel, hydrogen, to set a fire. Thus, the orientations and evaluations of the same object can diametrically oppose one another when the frame of reference is set in different ways, or when it is viewed from different angles. And then we can, of course, because of the angles, argue with each other on the same thing. The fact that different realms can coexist with each other within the same object is referred to by the Huayan philosophers as the truth of simultaneous arising. And the fact that these different realms, while simultaneously existing, do not impede or undermine each other but mutually penetrate one another in a harmonious way is referred to as the truth of simultaneous non-obstruction Now that would be interesting if we can live with each other this way realizing the the harmonious way in which we function and at the same time allowing each of us to be unique and different and again we say unique and different does not stand in opposition to sameness and sameness does not obstruct or limit the uniqueness of each of us. It's just that being unique, we think we are separated. And then he then goes on to describe the conventional way of human thought and the all-encompassing way the Buddha sees reality. The human way of thinking follows that one-at-a-time and shifting realm approach, which is characteristically anti- or non-simultaneous arising. Right? So we don't see things appearing all at once. We see things as chopped up, or we see reality as separated. We see ourselves as separated from one another and from the reality we are functioning within, or from time itself. I, there is the I, and then there is time which is a line I imagine I'm walking on and I'm running out of, right? So there is a gap. Then he's saying, here's an illustration. An extremely capable but hard-pressed executive has six telephones sitting on his desk, and each one of them is specifically connected to a department of his firm. He can usually handle two calls at a time and occasionally even three. He can shift realms so quickly and so smoothly that he almost reaches the point of simultaneously dealing with what comes up. But sometimes even he is helplessly thrown out of gear when all six phones ring together. I think we feel this way sometimes, right? In contrast to this shifting realm and one-at-a-time approach adopted by men's mind, the omniscient mind of Buddhahood adopts an entirely different approach in its functionings. A mind that sees all must not and cannot follow the shifting realm and one-at-a-time approach. It must see things in numerous realms, one penetrating another, all simultaneously arising on an enormous scale. So if for a moment we step out of our cursory and automatic way of acting and scan the things surrounding us, What a vast and awe-inspiring mystery we will discover. Just look at any object that stands before your eyes. A cup of water, a table, a pencil, a vase of flowers, or a trace of wavering smoke rising from a stick of burning incense. In each and every object in a small room, what an innumerable things of infinite realms now exist right before you. And yet you cannot see them. But this is only the picture of a room. Greater still will be the total realm picture of a house, of a block, of the city, of a country, of the earth, the solar system, the cosmos, and the entire Dhammadatu. What a stupendous panorama on an omniscient, omniscient mind must see. But to see this panorama of simultaneous total arising is not possible without a realization of the simultaneous non-obstruction as he was talking about before. The former savors of the outer appearance or revelation of totality, whereas the latter implies the inner relationship or construct between different realms as seen from the standpoint of totality. Ontologically speaking, simultaneous non obstruction is even more important than simultaneous arising. It is through a realization of non obstruction that the relation of totality is made possible. Non obstruction is therefore the core of Hawaiian philosophy. But what is obstruction, as understood by common sense? Obstruction is something that blocks or stands in the way of some matter or act. So then he goes on to talk about the boundary walls, how it's created, and we're going to get into that next time. So, but the, the, uh, the suggestion to look at something, right, to look at whatever is in front of us and stay with it and look beyond what the eyes are... Or or, or the mind, the thinking mind is informing us looking at what we're seeing. Staying with an object, going beyond the initial reactivity, looking at the person, thinking about the person, and going beyond the initial reactivities we have about the person. Things naturally will expand. We will naturally open up. It's just that it takes, as you were saying, patience. It does take patience. So we can take a deep breath, relax, work on relaxing, and it's not just switch off something, and melt, allow ourselves to dissolve, and to be embraced by the totality which is to be embraced by ourselves. So, we have to wrap it up in a minute or two. Anybody has anything to add to that? or
2: Two things. That
0: two things. Here. I it of, Go. Know, just two
2: things. You know, okay, like just bow.
0: increase the volume.
2: One is from, it's like a vow, right? And the other is very Catholic teaching that I had growing up so forgive me for waxing Catholic but um, just something Jesus said um, in my father's house there are many mansions mm-hmm. I think he, meant, I think they he meant the same thing in my father's house there are many mansions in response to what if somebody doesn't believe exactly what you believe or isn't exactly like you yeah that's what it felt like to me thank you
0: realms within realms today in as an experience of our lives right not somewhere else so let's not make it a philosophy or an idea right that we can either then think of as understanding or not understanding so use it uh well i don't know <laughs> we'll see <laughs> We'll see what happens with this, how it is taken. But uh, anyway, that's the task. So thank thank you. To be continued.